Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Today we're talking gobble zones. Jacob Myers, Jacob, how are you doing? Doing well, man, doing well. Uh, speaking of gobbling zones, we found one. Uh, what a few days ago? Yes, yeah, so I think we did. A little excited, a little mid-afternoon crow call in action. Got one to got one to hammer off. And I'm like, okay, all yeah, right. we got, got his number. Yeah, uh, you know what? Now that I think about it, uh, I think this is dropping the day before Bama opens for turkeys. So, mm. so when a lot of people listen to this on Friday or on Saturday, that's when we're making a move on this spot. Mm-hmm. Making a little bit of a move on oh, it on an old gobbler zone. Goblin zone. We 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 got it. Got yeah. it pinned down. Oh yeah. Uh, you you want to explain the origin of that term a little bit? Yeah. Uh, so this really kind of well, you you kind of had this whole thought and idea for a while, but it really kind of came about. I, I forget what episode it was with uh, Dr. Michael Chamberlain. Two twenty five. I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure you're right. Yeah. Episode two twenty five from a few years ago with Dr. Michael Chamberlain. He talked about some studies they've done on Lex. When it comes to turkeys, spelled L E K, and a lek Andrew is, it's an area where it's mostly known for sage grouse, where uh, males come together and they do their displays and mating rituals and stuff to be seen and courted by females. Yeah, so seems like these gobblers do the same thing, especially in hill country, in and around specific terrain features, which we're going to talk about today, which yep. is a lot of times. Either big points come off ridges or big secondary points and or high saddles on the ridges specifically. Talking timber country here, not really ag fields, but specifically timber country. And again, those gobble zones, which Andrew, you know, any longtime listener understands that Andrew's really kind of keyed in on these areas and had a lot of success in these areas. Uh, But it's something if you can figure out these gobbling zones or these licks, you can have a very high odds of success in these areas, even though you may be a green turkey hunter, if you can figure out how to set up in these locations, it's a location that these gobblers are going to want to be at throughout the whole day and not just, you know, they're there on the roost and they're gone. They spend a ton of time in these areas. Mm-hmm. And it's even on those quiet days, if you can find this on a map and know what to look for, like on your maps, 
you can slip into these areas and have tremendous success even on slow days when they're not gobbling a whole bunch. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and we filmed a whole video on this that is actually, by the time you're listening to this, is live on our YouTube channel. So you can actually go and watch the video that kind of goes along with this podcast and see the visual explanation for it. We got beautiful maps and drone footage and all kinds of stuff on there uh, that I think you'll find some value in. Um, but yeah, it's pretty much like what you just said. It's it's areas where gobblers just kind of like want to display, and it's something that I I kind of started keying in on after hunting with some uh, some turkey hunters who were definitely better than me, um, and just kind of thinking strategically about terrain when it comes to turkeys. Because I guess it's kind of like my deer hunter mindset is like wanting to like assign something to this and like talk about it, you know. And the whole gobble zone thing is is just. Really, it's just a term of like an area where a gobbler can hang out and he can kind of like be seen for a long ways off and he can be heard from a long ways off. And it's not just limited to like the terrain we're going to talk about. I mean, when you think about it, like a field would be the same exact thing. There's a cotton field right down the the road from where Jake and I live. And uh, there's turkeys in that field like every day. And I drove by this morning. There was like 25 of them out there. Oh, was there? Oh, yeah. What time? I think it was actually yesterday. Okay. No, it was yesterday on my way to church. I, I drove by there this morning. I didn't see no birds out No, there. yeah, it was yesterday because I, I haven't left the house today. Um, but they there's like a high spot out there in the middle of that field. And dude, they get up on that high spot, same thing. They can be seen from a long ways. They can see from a long ways. And uh, they can project that gobble and be heard from a, a long ways off. So that's kind of an example because uh, when, when a, a turkey gobbler is like gobbling and strutting, he's like wanting to be seen and heard, you know? And so for him to do that effectively, he needs to be in a place where he can be seen and heard. And this you know? applies directly when we start talking about, you know, specifically hill country, timbered areas, how this really comes playing a factor. Or in timbered areas where there's a lot of logging, sometimes those fresh logging, that fresh logging activity could also be one of these locations too, especially high up on a ridge. Like I found a spot like that before. Fresh log, can't, fresh Logging crew came through, clear cut a whole area. There's a big high spot out there in that cut, and there's strut marks and tracks going up and down where that logging deck was, right in the middle of that cut, way up high. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's super interesting. Again, this is something that I'm trying to focus a whole bunch on this year because the cool thing is you've had success finding these areas like on, on X and then going in kind of blind into these areas, finding birds in those areas and killing them literally where you've kind of had it marked on the map. Yeah, that happened twice last year. Uh, two back-to-back days um the the first day i'd actually went in there and listened before and i deer hunted it in the past so i kind of knew like what the area was like and i went in with the intent of like being over the top of a thermal hub with some good points dropping in it and sure enough there was a couple turkeys gobbling that morning uh but one in particular was like kind of where i wanted him to be which we can get it into a little more later. And the other one wasn't in a spot where I was like, eh, I don't know if I can go over there and kill that one. And I ended up calling him up after like 40 minutes or so. Again, just one setup. Uh, he was on the opposite side of the thermal hub from me. And he gobbled like six or seven times. And I got on one of these points above that hub. So basically a point opposite of him. He's on the opposite hillside. And there's a lot that kind of goes into that because when I was sitting there, you can't see the opposite hillside because all the trees, but when he gobbled, it was like nothing but air between, like it wasn't muffled. It was like a very clear gobble. So I'm like, okay, like there's nothing but air and trees between us. So he's like directly across from me on the other point. I'm gonna, I'm just going to sit down on this point and see what I can do. And so I made some calls and he didn't do anything. And then I made some calls and did some Jake Yelps, cut him off with some Jake Yelps and he gobbled at it. And then I stopped, and I didn't call again, and I just sat there, and 30 minutes later, he came sneaking in silent, straight up that point, and I shot him. Yeah. And uh, that was that was one. So he crossed that thermal hub and came up to me. I guess assuming it was the same turkey, you know. The second one was a little more straightforward, though. Well, I was going to say, assuming it's the same turkey, the thing is, if you find these locations, it seems like there may be even some satellite gobblers in the area. Yeah. So it's almost like you're, you know, that whole lect mindset. It's not maybe it's not just that one turkey. Maybe there's one that's super vocal. But there's probably some other gobblers in the area. Those kind of less dominant birds that mm-hmm. aren't really talking. Yeah, but they're waiting to kind of slip up. So that's another good reason to find these locations. We're going to talk about how to go about finding these gobbler zones. You know what what they are, where you find them, and again how you kind of hunt them. Yeah. But that's the kind of the advantage of finding these locations because it might not just be that one bird that's, in the, that's really vocal. There could be other turkeys in that area that are quiet 
but you can still draw one of those birds in. Yeah, and another thing about that hunt, too, is that there was two, I think it was only two birds gobbling that morning, and the one that I went to actually gobbled less, but he gobbled on the ground. But he only gobbled on the ground like twice. So there was another turkey. There was a much bigger thermal hub down the valley. You kind of know where I was, so you kind of know the setup. But there, there was a smaller one that I was closer to, and then there's like a gigantic one down the valley. And there was a turkey in that one that gobbled like 15 times, but he gobbled on the limb, and I stayed up up high and just didn't really move on either one of them. I just kind of waited until uh, they got on the ground. And so the one that gobbled a whole bunch on the limb, he ended up shutting up. But the other one, he gobbled like one or two times on the ground. By himself. By himself. Uh, and I could tell he was up on this that side hill, you know. And so then I moved maybe like 200 yards to get closer to him and get on that ridge point where I'm watching that military crest. And uh, and then I called, and he gobbled maybe one more time, and then he came to me. And uh, kind of goes into the video. There's a section in the video where we're talking about setting up on that military crest and where people, expect, like myself included, screw up on setting up in places like this because you want to sit on that hill and see down that hill and be able to see him coming. And I was sitting where I'm sitting on, on the top of that point where I can't see off the edges of it. And so the first time I saw that bird, he was like 50 yards, and I just caught him coming between two trees, and I just barely saw him. And then he was coming up the point, and I could see him a little bit further down the point where it kind of went down kind of gently and then dropped off. And I saw him pop up right there. I was like, oh, crap, he's coming. And then he walked straight up the middle of it behind this huge oak tree. And when he popped out from behind that oak tree, he was like 30 yards, and I shot him. Got him. Mm. (laughs) I felt good. Mm. Open in morning, too. It was nice. That was a good morning, dude. Before work, too. I was working that day. Nothing like a before work gobbler, man. <sighs> Nothing like it, bro. Give <clears throat> some chills. Yeah, definitely. So the other one, and then we'll kind of get more into, I guess, like this strategic stuff behind it. But the other one, I was going in blind. Hadn't listened there. I turkey hunted that area like once or twice. You turkey hunted it with me last year. And I I went into the, the spot, and again, it's like a big, giant drainage. It's kind of a thermal hub. Like, if you were deer hunting, you wouldn't really call it a thermal hub. It's just a huge drainage. And there was like three or four points coming off one of the ridges on the south side of this drainage. And they're all like pretty defined little fingers coming off. Like, just like fingers coming off your hand, you know, if you lay your palm down on the table. And they're, they're pretty defined coming off there. So I was like, well, I'm just going to go get on one of those like way before daylight. Because it'll be a good listening spot, but there might be a turkey on it too. And when I got there, I, I set up before daylight. And I mean like way before daylight, a turkey gobbled on the very next ridge point over, like 150 yards. And uh, I ended up just like shifting on my tree to face him. And I I never moved from that tree. Like the tree I sat on before daylight was like just happened to be the perfect tree. But he gobbled like a hundred times. I mean, dude, he was gobbling in like the pitch black dark. He was gobbling at dogs barking, like loud trucks driving by, like everything, dude. Oh, Penray's bird. Dude, he was I was kinda wondering for a minute. But he gobbled at everything. And Well, that's the that's there's our Penray some Penray's birds next to that place. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. well, I actually no, I don't and know. You, and you kill an escape pit. Well see. I don't know. Well, no, because I could see the tree he was in. He was roosted. Well, so I don't know. I don't know if there are root because you, you hunted in there the I year swear before. I that, heard one, and you yeah. were like, "There's some, there's some, uh, like domestic birds in there." I'm like, "Dude, I think you might have just had like a really hot turkey that you just didn't go after." I mean, he wasn't on the pro- he was on the property we could hunt anyways, but he was sounded like it, it was a stupid sounding. It sounded like a Miriam's just like. I mean, this sounded weird. Okay, I'm like, I it might have been domestic. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think I, was, I don't think that that was no Eastern I've ever heard before. Yeah, I don't know why, but like uh, something about that that weird gobble, it just doesn't hit like an Eastern gobble. But uh, dude, he he gobbled like at every breath. I mean, he was gobbling at stuff until I called to him, and when I called to him, he did not gobble back at me. So I was like, well, hopefully that means he's coming. And then like three minutes later, I saw him coming. And again, same situation. I could see that opposite ridge point, but I was, I was like right on the crest of my ridge point. So, like from his perspective, when he was walking across that other ridge point, and you could see across there like a hundred yards, it would be easy for that hen, me, 
to be just over the top of that ridge point. So it's not like I was calling from down in that bottom, and he's like, well, she's down in there somewhere. I can just look and see her. Like, he had to come investigate it. And he dropped down into that bottom and was coming to me. And, he, again, same exact situation. I could see the direction he was coming, and I just kind of had to – he disappeared for a minute while he was coming. And by the time his head came back up, he was like 25 yards, and I shot him. And uh, and that's – that this. I think that's a big point of the video is like setting up like that because, dude, when I started doing that kind of setup, I started killing more turkeys like immediately. Like that, nothing has helped my turkey hunting more than that kind of setup. Well, explain for the listeners, again, what is a gobbling zone or like elect in the way we've seen and also what Dr. Chamberlain talked about? So um, the way that, that Chamberlain talked about it is is more of like, it's less of like the the whole ridge point thing, and it's more of like generally how turkeys breed. And if you like go look at a sage grouse, or I guess maybe prairie chickens do it too. Uh, they all get together in like an open area, and the the males do all these like crazy dances and stuff, basically, to attract the females. And it's on a small scale because they're I mean a sage grouse is a big bird, but they all like get together and they're like in an area doing it. And he's saying that wild turkeys are probably the same, but it's just a little bit bigger. He called it an exploded lek, quote-unquote. And so the way that I look at it, I'm thinking like a, a big, large drainage system. Let's just say that there's like 10 hens in it and like four gobblers. And maybe those gobblers are each on different like ridge points or benches or in saddles or something. They're in like a strategic location where they can be seen and heard when they're trying to attract those hens. Now, it's, like, obviously different if they're already with the hens or if they're, like, just doing something else, like feeding or loafing. But if they're actively trying to find hens, they're going to be in a spot. Like, he's not going to be, like, all the way down by the creek most of the time. I mean, obviously, there's no absolutes. But it's, like, if he's trying to attract hens, he's probably going to be in a spot where he can be seen and heard. For, like, he's not going to be down in the in the cane thicket in the bottom. He's going to be up on a ridge point above the bottom, projecting his vocalization down through that, and strutting in a place where he can be seen from a good ways off. So that, my idea of like a quote-unquote gobble zone would just be an area that has like strategic locations like that where the turkey can hang around during the day, and it's like when he's wanting to go get some ladies, he can walk right up to that ridge point, and he can gobble, and he can do his thing, and hopefully attract some some hens. But like it's definitely a pattern that I've noticed over the years because they keep they go to those ridge points. They love the ridge. So points. talking about the ridge points, what has been what you found, and also a little bit what Chamberlain talked about. But what has it? What makes one point more specific than another? Of like more than likely, there's going to be a gobbler using it as like you know his gobbling zone. Like what are some of the characteristics, the area you, you kind of find them in, and how does it kind of typically set up, and how you're able to find that like on Onyx map, mm-hmm. find it on the map, go in there, and, and there be a bird there. Usually it needs to be like a pretty defined point and it has to have a good military crest. And the military crest I think is maybe the most important thing because a military crest is basically where that hill drops off to the bottom. Like what's the technical definition? Just when you stand on the military crest, you can see up towards the top of the ridge, you all see to sit down over the over the, the lip of the ridge, which is the military crest down to the bottom. But if something's down the bottom, they can't see past the military crest. They can't see past that little hump. Yep. And when you're in the very top, you can't see over that little hump straight mm-hmm. down. Yeah. So it's like when you're walking down a hill, when you get to the point where you can see the creek or you can turn around and still see the top of the ridge, that's military crest. Mm-hmm. So uh, a good defined military crest would be on a ridge point where like, there's a, a, some steepness to it. Um, if it's like a really gentle ridge point that goes down to the creek, there's really not a good military crest. You know, it, if it has a good defined one and the sides of that ridge point are pretty steep, those seem to be better. Like the, I seem to get turkeys like gravitating to that kind of area a lot more. And that's something you can kind of find if you use slope angle shading. You can yeah. kind of use that and kind of find where that darker red, if not even purple, kind of shading starts on those secondary ridge points coming off, dropping down to a big bottom. And then more than likely, that's going to be a location because the steep terrain, I mean, you can kind of mention about this, but like for escape routes, mm-hmm. you know, you can kind of talk talk a little bit like why, why the steepness of the terrain plays a factor. Yeah. Well, even, I don't even know if purple might be a little much on slope angle shading because that'd be like a bluff. I don't know if I'd be <clears throat> looking for like a bluff, but like, like where it goes from yellow to green, maybe like that's maybe a sweet spot, but it, 
it gives him an advantage, which, by the way, you can scout this. We found this the other day. You can scout this by when you get on those secondary ridge points a lot of time, if there's turkeys around, um, especially like big droves of turkeys, like a bunch of hens, they'll be scratching all around that military crest. You'll be on top of the ridge, and there might be some scratch in there, but you start dropping off that ridge, and you hit the military crest, there's like a ring, there's like a band of scout, uh, scratching right there. Um, but to me it makes sense because, again, going back to he can be seen and heard from the bottom and from the top, like all around him, but also he can see everything and hear everything around him. So he can see anything in the bottom, whether it be a hen or a coyote or me, um, or anything from the top, if he's got a threat from the top, he can turn around and literally just, and this is where the, the good military, like the steepness comes in. If it's a good steep hill, he can take two, you know, running steps and jump in the air and get air under his wings and he's gone. You know, it's, it's not hard for him to, to like just jump off the side of the hill basically and fly off. And if there's something down at the bottom of the hill trying to come up, he can just turn around and run over the top of the hill to get away from it. So it's a really safe place for them to be too. Uh, I feel like they like it. And like I just had a couple of years ago when I really first started like thinking about this, I had probably I killed um I think I killed four turkeys that year and three of them were in spots exactly like that and two of those three I watched for like 45 minutes before I actually shot them just cuz of how everything lined up. But the last one, oh wait, no, I take that back. Two of the three but there was another one that I missed that I watched for like 45 minutes. And it was in a spot just like this. Nice military crest, but it wasn't looking into like a giant thermal hub. It was actually a pretty small drainage that he was on top of. But he got on the very edge of that military crest and just walked back and forth, strutting and spitting and drumming. Like he, did, he wasn't gobbling or anything, but he was just walking back and forth. You know, if you think of the ridge point like your pointer finger... He was like walking around your fingernail, basically. He was just walking right around the front of your fingernail, around the sides of your fingernail, and going back and forth, like just strutting and spitting and drumming. And he did that for the longest time. And he finally got to where I had a decent shot at him. And I tried to lean around a tree and sneak one in there, and I killed the hell out of that poor pine tree. <laughs> did not do good. I could not believe I missed that turkey, dude. I was in utter disbelief it was so, i was sat there for so long watching him but it was a good learning experience because he i mean dude he stuck to that thing and there was one i think two weeks before that i killed the the one that i had to take my boots off to like sneak up on um that did the same thing he was on this ridge point and he wouldn't come off that ridge point and i finally like i think i jake yelped at him and he finally broke and like came the 12 yards closer or whatever it was that I needed him to come and I ended up shooting him mm -hmm. like right on one of those ridge points. So the ridge point thing has been really good to me. Now, how have you seen years. him use like the saddles in, in the same way? And like, how does like a certain saddles typically set up in order for him to be seen and heard from a distance? Kind of the same way. So for a saddle, it's, it's just going to be a spot that, that has hopefully a big drainage on either side of it where he can, again, be seen and heard. But I think it works kind of the same way. He can walk to one side of that saddle and look down into, you know, off that side of the hill, and he can strut and gobble. And then he can turn around and walk 10, 15 steps to the other side and do the same thing. And the same escape route stuff holds true, which there's a pretty good example of this in our video that we actually fly the drone over and kind of show you. Um, he can He can escape it easily. Like now, the saddle one though is one that I don't necessarily see as much. I definitely do see it, but the ridge point one is my favorite, dude. Mm -hmm. That's my jam. Well, talk about the saddle setup that you know we actually went up to your club and found one of these saddle, you know, gobbler zones, gobbling zones mm -hmm. that this one specific turkey was using based off the sign. And I mean, what made that saddle special based off the terrain and habitat? Yeah, that spot. It's a it's a pretty subtle saddle. It's it's nothing crazy, but it it connects two pretty large drainages, and in each of those drainages, we actually walked one of them. We didn't. I've walked the other one in the past though. Each drainage on either side of the saddle has a pretty decent thermal hub in it with good ridge points, and we came through one of them, and it was tore up with scratch, like fresh scratch. There's actually an Instagram story where we're showing like fresh scratch or an Instagram reel. And that's where that was. It was on that ridge point. 
So we basically dropped off that ridge point, went into the, the hub, and then up the other side and came into that saddle. If we'd kept going, we'd go down the other side of that saddle into another thermal hub that's got some points going into it. So it just connects the same same thing for deer. Are we talking about the same saddle? The one with the road going through it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what we walked up to. Where we put the camera? No. Oh, wait, which one are you talking about? Where we about? filmed in the slut cut pines. Oh. And that saddle is the one I, I'm, I'm talking about. Okay. Wait, what about that one? Just, again, that, that specific saddle in this old in this road bed mm-hmm. links two big ditches, two big drainages next to it, but one of the drainages has been freshly slut cut super heavily, so it's oh, yeah. super open. You can see 250 yards. Easily. And he's strutting. Again, he's out in the highest spot. He's in a saddle. But he's like, you can tell based off the strut marks and how he's positioning himself in that saddle, he is gobbling more than likely down that wide open, oh, yeah. big lane that in the slut cut, which I mean, fresh slut cut. They cut it during deer season. Wide open. I'm talking like stupid wide open. I mean, nothing on the ground. Like two, 250 yards easily through that. And he's using it in an area that, again, you wouldn't necessarily expect it, but it clearly sets up good for him where mm-hmm. he can sit in that spot. He can kind of gobble down probably both those big drainages, but specifically the one has been heavily slut cut, and he's you know just using that area pretty heavily. But yeah. the one you're talking about is a little bit more kind of a mixed hardwood yeah. pine area, more mature timber, uh, you know, nice understory. It's not overly thick, good good area for you know turkeys to be scratching in, and uh, just an absolute ton of turkeys on there. Mm-hmm. And that's also where we were at and get that one to gobble a couple of days ago too. Oh yeah, so that's what I was. So the spot you were talking about with the thin pines, it was kind of cool because we could see gobbler tracks coming down the road, and he walked all the way down this road. Where you, I mean, and you could see into the pines from anywhere because they're wide open. He walked all the way down that road, got into that saddle, and then you saw where his tracks, he stopped and walked around in circles a bunch of times where he was probably strutting. And one another thing that was interesting about that, those thin pines, when you stood there, there was a lane cut right down the bottom, like where that holler comes down out of the saddle, the low spot, there was a lane cut right smack down the middle of it, and it was, like, wide open. Yeah, it's probably like 30, 15, yeah, 15, 20 yards. Yeah, probably 20 yards wide and, again, 250 yards long. Just wide up, like, so open that I flew my drone under the canopy, like, all the way down that lane because mm-hmm. it looked cool. And uh, it's, it's almost like he got to that spot and looked over. He's like, oh, dang. You know, and then he's like, "Yeah, I'll strut right here," mm-hmm. and and he did his thing for a minute, and then he went on his merry way. Uh, but then the other saddle that I was originally talking about is kind of the same thing. We put a camera up on it, and ended up getting three gobblers on camera right there, mm-hmm. which was pretty neat. Yeah, some cool vocalizations of them fighting purrs, fighting purrs, and a going loud up. cluck. Yeah, just chasing each other. It's pretty cool. But you know, kind of getting back to you know, we talked about the points. You know, being the second big secondary ridge points can be extremely good gobbling zones along with some of these bigger saddles um it seems like the biggest thing for all of this is like open woods like they're not doing it on super thick ridge points they're not doing it in yeah. thick saddles they want an area where they can clearly be seen and be heard from long distance the question is how do you go about finding that on a map to then go in and hunt i mean is it mm-hmm. one of those things like do you have to put boots on the ground is it one of those things that you can kind of pick it out based off how you know the habitat is in the general area what kind of sets up when you're looking at a map and you see all these different thermal hubs, all these different drainages where you have all these drainages coming off these ridges that make this thermal hub going down to a bigger creek bottom? Like what tells you one point may have a bird on it more so than any of the other, you know, 100 points in this, you know, 500 to 1,000 acre spot? Yeah, that's tough. I think what I look for is just a, a large area, like a, a decent thermal hub, that's got the kind of habitat that turkeys are going to want, which is, in my opinion, like mature timber. Like, especially if you got hardwoods, uh, not just hardwood SMZs, but like legit hard, like upland hardwoods. That is where it's at, in my opinion. I mean, you'll find them in planted pines for sure, but if you can find some upland hardwoods, you're in really, really good shape. So if I could find upland hardwoods with a thermal hub with multiple points going into it, and then I can get above that thermal hub, to listen before daylight, that is a good setup. And it's like sometimes they're in there, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they gobble, sometimes they don't. Like me and you went and hunted a spot last year that I thought was like a slam dunk, like dynamite spot. And because it's set up like this. And we went in there and we didn't hear anything. Part 
it was really windy that day, so that probably didn't help. But when we went down in the bottom, we found a bunch of turkey. Oh sign. yeah, that day, yeah, for sure. my, the day that we yeah. went and interviewed Mike Pentecost. Yep, yep. So uh, that I mean, I don't know, dude. You're just gonna get burned sometimes. I mean, that's it's the best way that I found to go in blind to new areas for sure because because I can strategically put myself in a spot where I'm like, if there is a turkey right here, then it's gonna be pretty easy for me to like move on him and get in a spot that I can call him to. Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spur Master and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spur Master call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com. Use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And, uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with mike and sam we were all super impressed i mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option same chokes i have in my shotgun so guys if you want to give true lock a shot this spring you can head over to truelockchokes.com that's t-r-u L-O-C-K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code Southern at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give TrueLock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with TrueLock. So again, trying to find an area that has a bunch of these different points dropping off into you know some kind of thermal hub, some kind of drainage system, getting up above it on the main ridge system, listening. If the turkey's gobble, we'll kind of figure out which one you want to make a play on. And that kind of goes back to what you said earlier. How do you know, how do you dictate which one you want to go after based off how he's set up in and around one of those points? Yeah, the the thing I look for is um, basically access to one of those ridge points. So if I can get in a spot where I can get above that ridge point and I can get on the back side of the ridge from that secondary ridge point, and then get parallel to it. So, like, let's say that, um, uh, let's see. Second ridge point comes off a of main ridge jutting out to the west. Yeah, I'm, so trying, gotta, I'm trying to figure out how to do it with my hand because everybody's got hands. Oh, well, no. most people have hands. Well, yeah, yeah <laughs> careful there. No, but, again, say you're in a ridge system where you have a bunch of ridge points coming off, like second ridge points coming off the west side of a ridge that runs north or south. Mm-hmm. So each second ridge point has a north side and a south side. If you feel like that bird's more so on the north side of one of the secondary points, you're trying to come up, say, the south side of it, you know, on the back side of him. Yeah. And then try a position where you have to call him over the top of it. Yeah, definitely. So, like, if you made, like, a peace sign with your with your pointer finger and middle finger, and let's say that the, the turkey is standing on your middle finger's fingernail, okay, and you're over by your thumb somewhere, all right, and you need to go kill that turkey, like, you need to go get on that turkey, I would basically... Like, if you look at your pointer finger, I would get on the right side of my pointer finger. I'm using my left hand here, by the way. Oh, well, that really helps. Yeah. Okay, that is so I get on the left side. So I'd get on the opposite side of the ridge. So, again, if he, if I'm using my left hand, mm-hmm. make a peace sign, he's on my middle finger fingernail. I am on the right side of my pointer finger. 
and I'm walking behind my pointer finger. Index finger, but yeah. Whatever. Some terminology. Just make sure people understand. His <laughs> index finger, pointer finger. Index finger. Is that your index yeah. finger? Yeah. I always called it my pointer finger because I pointed stuff with it. Well, and Roll then Todd. When you get to, <laughs> hey, War Eagle, baby. Uh, exactly. That's what I was trying to get at. It's definitely a War Eagle thing. Uh-huh. All right. So we get to like the knuckle. When I got when I get to my knuckle on my index finger, I pop up over the top and get on my middle finger knuckle, and then boom, I'm on his ridge point, and I'm in a spot I could hopefully call him, you know, up my finger to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's kind of what I'm what I'm talking about is like I want to get in an area where I can make a move on him, and I can get in a spot I can call him to. So if you had a bird gobbling, like say across the thermal hub or across that drainage from you. Mm-hmm. So, like, say, you know, you're in a big thermal hub where you have two or three points coming off the ridge, you're kind of on the main ridge, and there's another main ridge directly across from you on the other side of the thermal hub with mm-hmm. a couple secondary points. If he's on the other complete side, is that one of those things, would you go right at the turkey? Would you try to make a wide, you know, loop around him and try to get somewhere on that main ridge system to come back down to him? What does that typically look like? Man, um, I don't know. There's a lot of different. Like, guys do this differently. And I'm, like, I'm definitely not, like, an old pro turkey hunter or anything like that. But one thing that I've – I used to I used to take the approach that I would go around. So, if he – like, the turkey – the first turkey I talked about, the one that was across from me, and I called him across the thermal hub over to me, normally I would have backed out and walked way back up my point and gotten, like, hundreds of yards from the turkey and then made a giant loop to get around, cross the bottom, and get on his ridge – and then just sneak as as close as I thought I could get to where he was hanging out, and then call at him. But by the time you do that, like if you're hauling, it's been like thirty minutes since he gobbled probably, and like I just lose him a lot when that happens. Like I guess they like drift off or something. But in that case, I called to him from where I was, and I was like, "Well, maybe he'll cross," and he did, and it worked out. So I don't know. It's just is that one of those things that you almost don't want to get too close if he's directly across from you. You kind of do yeah. want to back up just a little bit or or give him that distance that Lyle Gilbert talked that, about. Okay, so that's something that's really interesting that I was actually wanting to bring up. Like we're not really doing outros right now because because of like the season and we're doubling up on whatever. But I was like, dang, dude, I wish we could do an outro for Lyle's episode because when I re-listened to it, he talked a lot about giving him some distance, like actually putting distance between you and the turkey. And I was like, man, that's interesting because you don't hear a lot of people talk about that. Like, usually it's like, get close, get close, get close, you know, get in his bubble. But Lyle's like, you know, I want to put a little distance and we're going to have Lyle back on. But I think it, I think what he's getting at is it goes back to getting in a position that, that you can call him to. So, like, really getting strategic. And this is something that, like, a lot of these really good turkey hunters that we know do, and I don't think they really realize they do it, is, they're thinking strategically about the habitat and the terrain and they're looking around and thinking, okay, where can I sit where he's like going to come to me? Like where it makes sense for him to come to me. And, and that's how they end up killing a lot of turkeys. Um, and I think that's what he's getting at. And that's, that's definitely what, what I was kind of getting at with that Turkey too, is like, I didn't want to have to cross and like do a big circle. And I think you get busted a lot when you do that too. And so I'm like, well, I know he hasn't seen me, so I'm just going to take a chance, and I'm going to see if I can call him across. And it just took, like, a lot more patience than a lot of people probably have because I was there for at least 30 minutes, you know, just sitting against the same tree, not making a call. He didn't gobble, and then he he shows up silent. <clears throat> so one thing I, I learned, because, you know, you and me have turkey hunting together, but a lot of times I go turkey hunting with you, it's very much like whatever Andrew says, we just do. And, if, <laughs> and I, I told Lyle this, like, there's not really much explanation. We just go do it. And um, <laughs> I'm not a good teacher. And one thing that I learned, like when we did one of our little scouting trips into this area that we're going to be hunting opening day, that again, we found this bird that was gobbling a couple of days ago in there. And there's clearly, who knows, eight, 10 more long beards within. I got a video of 12 long beards in there at one time. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's a bunch of long beards in this area. And uh, it, it kind of gets back to, like, the proper set because I was telling you, like, these woods are so open. Like, I, I don't know how I'd set up in here. And you kept saying, like, well, you got to get on top. You got to, like, back up off the edge because a lot of the stuff I was looking at, I'm like, you know, kind of set where you can like, look down one of these drainages because it's not super, super steep, but there's good topography, good elevation drop, uh, you know, off the main ridge to these secondary ridge points down to the bottoms. 
And it's almost one of those things that you can easily get yourself sucked into where you just sit too far over the top where you're kind of looking down like one of these mm-hmm. more gradual bottoms going down to along one of these secondary ridge points where, like, you could see 120 yards easily. Yeah. And if you can see 120 yards and the woods aren't all that thick, really, mm-hmm. uh, there's not a lot of leaf cover yet. Uh, there's not just a crazy amount of ground cover. It's one of those things that you could get a bird to hang up at a very long distance, which has been my issue in the past, setting up where you have a turkey that, decides he wants to hold up at 90 yards whatever yeah. and i'm not i mean i'm not taking a, a tss poke at him at that distance <laughs> um and uh you know it, it's one of those areas where you can very easily get yourself sucked in too close instead of like trying to back up and and, and really trying to get you in a spot where you can't see past 40 yards and let him kind of work his way up so he can't see you either mm-hmm. and he has to come up over that little that little rise to see what's going on and by that point you should have that red down on his head. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a good point because when we were out there, you were you were talking and you were like, "Man, I don't know. Like these woods are like really open." And you said something about like these how open these woods are makes me kind of nervous. And I'm like, "Eh, like I th- those are like my favorite kind of woods." And I I was thinking when you were talking about that that uh, don't like you have such good terrain here that you don't have to rely on the woods being thick to hide you. You can get up on those up above those military crests and all of a sudden you've eliminated like a a significant chunk of ground of what he can see. So if you think about like if you're standing on the side of that hill, everything that you can see is like below that military crest is like your, to use a Josh driver term, like your negative terrain, everything below that military crest where you can get on that military crest and you can see way down that valley. That's where you don't want to be. You want to be above that where all of a sudden, if you could just highlight the tops of those ridges, it significantly shrinks your area of where you should be kind of hanging out. Not moving up there, per se, so not skylining yourself and walking down those ridges. You want to still move in the bottoms. But for setting up, I like to get on top above that military crest so they have to come to me. And we did a section in the video about that, kind of showing one of these fingers that um, actually that turkey was in that same thermal hub that we heard gobble. Um, and we The day that we heard him gobble, I flew the drone, and I was trying to get some footage of these thermal hubs to put in the video, and he was on one of those points that I filmed in the drone footage, and we ended up getting him to gobble from right there, and I'm like, there it is. Um, but we kind of show like what it looks like when you're on the ridge point. You can see down in that thermal hub and, and what it looks like, and it, it's, it looks like a spot you'd want to sit. Like You've got a good commanding view. If you were deer hunting, you'd definitely sit there. And maybe that's how, like, we get hung up sometimes, like, especially coming from, like, a deer hunter first perspective, and now you're kind of getting into turkey hunting because that's how I was. You want to sit there and have that view. But then when I backed it up, and I was like, this is where we would actually set up. You can you can see, like, 25 yards, you know, and then, and then the hill drops off, and you can't see past where it drops off. And so when you set up like that, he has to, if he's coming and he wants to see you, he has to come up within 25 yards and poke his head. Now he might just like periscope and it's like whack-a-mole. You got to get him quick, but he kind of has to, he has to come up and do that. Mm -hmm. Also talk about the whole idea. uh, Cause I find this interesting. If you can figure out these uh, gobbling zones of where these turkeys, these, these gobblers really want to spend a lot of time, even on quiet days, if you were finding the scratch and everything, how that can still make it make for a good spot to kind of do some blind calling setup in mm. and, and again kind of hang with them throughout the mid morning getting into early afternoon you know depending on like what the hunting regulations are where you're at and, and be able to kind of stick in that area that clearly there's a ton of sign they're going to be at some point you're going to have a gobbler within your bubble to be able to hear you in, in your calling so i mean what what's kind of like your take on all that that's a really good scenario that's also been kind of good to me and that kind of gets back to the whole gobbler zone thing gobble zone the like again the reason we call it that is because I, I think the gobblers like hanging out in spots like that that doesn't mean that he's going to be on that ridge point you know he might he might be just traveling and hitting different areas or he might just be loafing around and just kind of hanging out in that area or maybe he got some hens and they're kind of hanging out in the bottom somewhere but then when he leaves them maybe he'll come back up into into that onto that ridge point so when you find an area like this that's got turkeys in it and maybe you've heard them gobbling in there before this kind of goes back to the patience thing and you know if you want to be like a you know fast like run and gun you know style hunter which is definitely fun you can do that but honestly one thing that i've come to really enjoy is 
on maybe slower mornings or, or a morning where I couldn't make it happen off the roost, I'll get in a spot like that and just hang out and maybe do some blind calling or maybe just listen. And, uh, and like the turkey that I shot a couple of years ago that I had to take my boots off on that I mentioned before, that one, that's what I did with him. Like I heard him gobble on the roost, but I think he got some hens like right off the bat. And I just kind of hung out in there with him. I'd sit down and I would just listen for like an hour and just kind of sit there and take it all in. And then he would give me like one gobble and I'd hear a gobble. I'd be like, okay, he's over there. So then I'd reposition and I'd call and try to get him to come to me and nothing would happen. And then I would just kind of hang out and like 30, 40 minutes later, he would gobble again, like maybe on his own, maybe at a crow. And I just stuck in there with him and it took like six hours, but I ended up finally killing him. And that was like the best hunt of my entire life. Big old bird, too. He's a big old bird. The one you should have mounted. Yeah. He had big old hooks on him, like inch and a quarter, which for me is like really big hooks. And if you get your ears tuned in to hearing for him, you might hear the... Oh, so that was the first turkey I ever heard spitting, like, uh, well, I heard, I've heard spitting before, but I'd never heard the drumming. And I finally heard the drumming, and I've been hearing it all this time, but I thought it was something else. I thought it was like an airplane flying over or something, because it's just like such a low, like sound it you could almost like feel it dude it mm-hmm. was cra- it was crazy you could feel it in your chest but uh that's how that turkey was i just kind of hung out another example when me and you were hunting a particular piece of public land and you went in there before daylight and went way back you remember this i think it was the same day you stepped on that fox mm, okay yeah so I, and i i was coming in at like nine o'clock because I couldn't get out before daylight, and I was going to walk back and meet you, and we were going to hunt together. But on the way out, I stopped in one of these spots, nice ridge point over a, a nice big valley. It's not even a hub at all. It's just a really steep valley. Mm, there's a point across. There's a little creek point. There's a point across really? from Yeah, there's a point across from I missed a turkey on that point uh-huh. over there. Yeah, once. I know. Um, but, the, but this particular bird, I just got up there, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to stop here for like 30 minutes. And I got up there. And I walked around in a circle and scratched and called and didn't do anything crazy, just acted like a hen and sat down. And like 10 minutes later, he came walking up out of the bottom and I, and I shot him. Um, I had to leave you something. I had to give you a couple miles to work. He, yeah, I shot. <laughs> I shot. And then Jacob called me like two minutes later. He's like, was that you? And I was like, yep. I was like, have fun hiking out, bro. Yeah. <laughs> mm. I, was right, I was right next to the truck when that happened. Yeah, I was way, 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 way far back in there. Mm. I think they opened some gates so mm-hmm. you can drive back there. Really, they didn't? No. They, On they, the map, it looks like they did. No, and they closed uh, that area like where you shot him. Where at. I shot him, you can't hunt anymore. Yeah, it's all closed off. That sucks. Well, not really, because that doesn't bother. It's just on the other side of said thing. Mm. That's all closed off. Mm. But, um, yeah, no, there, there's absolutely no gates. I saw somebody post about that, and they're like, nope, that hunting club still get it locked down. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So anyway, um, but no, it kind of goes back to the whole idea of being able to hunt in these locations. And if you can find these points, again, if you're going to blind call, it almost seems like those are like the best spots to kind of set up, especially find some scratch mm-hmm. um, and, and you're finding some of that sign or you even heard a turkey in this area. Maybe it's one of those things like you heard a couple different gobblers, you know, you know, just gobbling right off the roost or on the roost. Comes to nine o'clock, you haven't had one killed. You circle back to one of those points that that gobbler, one of those gobblers were, you know, hitting on, mm-hmm. and then just kind of hang out right there. You know, it seems like you could have pretty good success doing that specifically. Yeah. Instead of just keep chasing your tail, running around, you can kind of go back to one of those locations and get one of those birds back in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hanging out in spots like that, I feel like you're going to learn a lot quick. And Lyle kind of mentioned this on his episode where he talked about just being patient and listening and how much you're going to pick up on with that. And, Again, I'm not like, you know, Joe Turkey Hunter here who's been doing it for 30 years. But, you know, I was like an absolute novice, like didn't know anything about turkey hunting like basically nine or ten years ago. And so, like, I was I was like that beginner not that long ago. I mean, I really didn't feel like I knew what I was doing until just a couple years ago. But the thing that helped me more than anything was, was not trying to, like, run a gun so hard and just, like, go, go crank on a on a slate call or a box call on every ridge top and then move until I strike one like that works and it's and it's fun but I honestly learned more and I actually kind of enjoy more getting in one of these areas and just like settling down and chilling out and just listening and playing off of them so I'm not I'm not 
blasting a crow call or an owl call or a glass call and being loud. I'm just listening to see what they do. And when I started doing that, I started learning more faster and killing more turkeys, just being kind of patient. You know, like you always hear the old timer thing where, you know, they like yelp three times and sit down and for two hours. I don't, I don't do it quite that bad, but I mean, there's something to that. Like if you do that, you're going to get an opportunity to turkey. Like I think you're going to be surprised. Uh, and you know, I try both ways, but the patience thing, dude, it'll teach you a lot in a short amount of time. Well, what's your thought or conclusion on, you know, the gobbling zones, the whole idea of like finding these areas, how you can find them on a map, you know, find these points, go in there, have some success, even if you're kind of going in blind and kind of playing off with the, what the turkeys are giving you. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of like what's your overall like kind of thought on it. And again, something that somebody should really pay attention to going into this season. Uh, man, I think if somebody's been turkey hunting for a couple of years, and they've heard some turkeys, like maybe they've killed one, or maybe they're still kind of new, but they've just been around, and like they've got a little bit of experience. I feel like this is one of those things that after you hear this and you go out there, it's going to kind of click, and and you're going to be like, okay, like now I see what you're talking about. You're going to hear him gobbling and pull up on X and like see which ridge point he's on, and you're going to be like, okay, got it. Um, and it's one of those things that you know eventually you'll probably pick up on on your own, like it's a pattern that you'll you'll start to notice, but. I just I wanted to do this podcast and that video to kind of show people that right here at the front end of turkey season. So when you're going through, you can be kind of paying attention to it and, and kind of draw your own conclusions and figure out what works for you. Like this is just something that's been working for me for a couple of years now. And uh, and it's one of those things that I think that, that some people, like they're, they're seeing it, but they're not like putting it together, you know, because that's how I was for a lot of years. So when you get in there, I mean, Kind of same thing holds true. Like get on a high spot, get on a high knob in a commanding listening location and listen to where they are and and don't go tearing off after the first one that you hear. Like kind of let the morning progress and and think more of what they're doing and just kind of like, you know, keep your powder dry for a minute and just listen to what the turkeys are doing. You know, like don't get so gung-ho to like run after that first turkey that gobbles three times on the limb and, and get like so jacked up that that you kind of like get tunnel vision and you're not really paying attention to what he's actually doing or like, why is he actually right there? If you can just kind of hang back and be more patient, you're going to learn more and you'll probably have a better chance of killing the turkey, in my opinion. So I guess that's uh that's kind of what I'd leave it off with. Um, just go out there and, and don't overthink it. What's, what's your <laughs> thoughts for opening day? How do you think she's going to play out? <sighs> Dude. I think I'm going to go listen in the morning, for sure. I, I wanted to go listen this morning, but it was 23 degrees, so I was like, eh, I don't know. Um, they were probably ripping it up, dude. They Just probably were. I mean, it's a bluebird day. Sing, singing. Um, I think I'm going to go listen. I really want to listen at least twice before opening day. Uh, hopefully, they're gobbling both days that I go listen. Um, and so, I want to do exactly what I'm talking about. I want to walk in there before daylight on a day that we're not hunting and just sit there and listen to what they do. Like, okay, this one's on this ridge point. He gobbled over there. This one was gobbling on the ground. Ideally, in a perfect world, we get a morning. Like, let's say we go out tomorrow morning and they're gobbling. And they start gobbling on the ground and we can hear where they go gobbling on the ground. That, dude, that would put us in a good position. If, if we can hear where they're going on the ground, uh, especially if we could do that more than once. Uh, and then open a morning, I think, just kind of go in there and, and again, just listen. And hopefully one of them is going to get down in one of those thermal hubs and we're going to be able to just slink right up on one of those ridge points and set up on them and, and maybe kill one early. Who knows? If we don't kill one early, just hang out. I mean, kind of like what we've been talking about. Just hang out in that general area. Pack a lunch. Just Yeah, pack a lunch. Just kind of drift around in there, and you never know, like, when one's going to fire up. You know, it might it might get to be 8.30 and one starts hey, firing it I'll up. I'll tell you, you know? what, I'm going to be definitely spray down with some sawyers. Permethrin. Permethrin ain't playing. I ain't messing with no ticks this year. No, because right now it's super cold, but this weekend it's going to get pretty warm, I yeah. think. 75 yeah. degrees? Yeah. Perfect tick weather. Per- oh, God. Great tick I, I hate weather. ticks. Ticks and mosquitoes. The mosquitoes, it was a couple days ago we were out there, and it was like 45 degrees, and mosquitoes, you get out of the truck, left the door open, and when you get back in the truck, there was 25 mosquitoes in the truck now. Oh, my God, dude. 
Let's, let's, They're ruthless. I can, I can deal with mosquitoes. I don't like to deal with ticks. Listen, you say that, but I've hunted some places in Tennessee. It is the worst mosquitoes I've ever seen. I'm talking about you can't breathe without breathing them in. And they're like, oh, yeah. big old, listen. I mean, I don't, look, I don't, I don't look, mess with dude, any of them. And, and I've, one time, there was a turkey one time that I killed when I lived down in Auburn. Mm-hmm. And he was coming in, and it was like a really warm morning because it was like mid-April, I think, when I killed this one. And I mean, it's one of those mornings where it's already kind of muggy before daylight. You know, you're just kind of like wet and damp. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were set up on this thing, and he gobbled on the roost, and I clucked like twice on a glass call, and he hammered it like there two clucks. Literally. I took the call because I think we, we interviewed like somebody. We were at the NWTF <clears throat> convention right before this. And somebody was like, if they do that, take your call and throw it where you can't reach it. And I literally did that. I took the call and tossed oh, it oh, to the side. Like Billy Yargis. I think it was Billy Yargis. And like, I got my gun up and I didn't know where the turkey was. And so I, I was afraid to move. But dude, I got lit up. There was like mosquitoes like biting my forehead, like right underneath my eyeball, dude, like on my eyelid. And I just sat there and freaking took it, dude. And like, it hurt so bad and they were all over me. But then like 15 minutes later, he came strutting in and I got him. That's what a winner does. That's what a winner, dude. You just grin and bear it, but, son. But listen, I'll tell you guys. You but you don't have to. You don't have to. <laughs> and, and trust me, you don't want to get alpha gal. You don't want to get that red meat allergy from that Lone Star tick, which we have in dude. Alabama. There's a lot of guys. Actually, there's a handful of people I personally know the podcast that have gotten it recently so make sure you're sprayed down with permethrin mm. like it ain't worth playing with it don't just throw deed on throw some permethrin all of your gear throw it on your put it on your vest treat everything so, some people might not know what alpha gal is uh it's a red meat allergy where you will never be able to eat another ribeye again depending on how bad your allergic reaction now is to dude it. i would get it from a tick i would you I, can't eat deer meat can't have anything it's literally like chicken and fish would you rather get alpha gal or cut off your own index finger You can uh Can I pick how much of the index finger I cut off? You can cut it off at the second knuckle. Yeah, for so sure. Right in the middle. For sure. The left one. You cut it off? The left one you could go. The left one? Yeah, so not, yeah not my trigger finger. No. Left of my No left. alcohol or anything. You just have to do it. So Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, that no I thought you just meant like we go to the doctor and get that sucker cut off. No, no. no. You cut it oh, off. Oh hell no. You cut or, oh. get, or get alpha gal? I guess we eat a lot of fish, boys. <laughs> look, you can look. You you don't have to cut it off with like a sharp knife. You can lop that, it off with like a meat cleaver. No, so I mean just I'm one just, click. Mo- click I don't motion. Think, I listen. I'm a, I'm a wuss. I don't know, dude. I don't know. There, you just some, bite on a stick. I've seen some upside. I, I've t- I've heard from a guy who's going through some treatment right now for alpha gal to kind of get him back to suppose there's a treatment program where he can slowly introduce it back, kind of like people do with like kids with peanut allergies and yeah. stuff. So, like, no, I don't think it's that extreme. No, okay, that was stupid. No, I'm going to cut my finger off. <laughs> we're, we're eating fish and chicken and turkeys, all right? Uh, you well, you can eat, like, ducks and stuff. You can eat that kind of red meat. There's no mammal. There's yeah, red, you, can't, you can't eat, like, a hooved mammal. So, like, deer, pork, beef, I'm still stuff deer, like that. I'm still deer hunting, bro. Goat. I guess I'm getting, giving you some meat then at that point. Yeah, man. Anyways, long would, story, long story short, make sure you spray your crap down with permethrin. I'm going to make sure all my stuff's treated because, yeah, you don't want to play with that. And then also make sure you have some really good bug spray, whether you're using Thermosil, whether you're spraying down with any kind of DEET, whatever. Just make sure you get some stuff for mosquitoes and your ticks. But make sure you spray everything down with permethrin. Again, it's not worth messing around with, guys. Um, yeah. Again, I, I just I know too many people that uh, now have it, and uh, it sucks for them. Well, not only that. I mean, I I know people personally who've gotten a Rocky Mountain spotted fever and almost died. Or a lot of disease, yeah. You know, and, I mean – I mean, the, those are no thing to mess around with, especially Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. There was a guy, they thought I had it uh, last year. I had to go to the doctor and get a bunch of tests done. But I was talking to someone who had just, he, he had gotten it twice in the same area where I thought I had gotten it. I ended up not having it. But he had gotten it, and a little girl had gotten it, and a little girl passed away from it. Mm. I mean, she was a young, healthy, like, kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it got her. And there was a guy that lived down the street from me when I was a kid who got it and almost killed it. Like, it is a serious thing. Like, you do not want to get that. Yeah, and then Lyme disease, you have, like, side effects that last years. 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 Yep. Yeah. You know, again, you don't want to know that. Again, long story short, guys, go buy some permethrin. Cost you. Go eat your can of you know, sawyers. Cost you $9 from Walmart or wherever you get it from. You know, last year, the whole season, spray all your crap down. Don't put it on your skin, but you spray it on all your clothes, let it dry. And then uh, you're good to go. And uh, it definitely helps big time. So Yes, sir. But anyways, guys, appreciate y'all listening to this week's episode, at least our turkey episode. Make sure you can check out our other deer episode for this week. (laughs) 
And make sure, guys, if you have success this turkey season using anything you've heard from the podcast, whether it's from this episode or any of the other episodes or any of our past episodes, shoot us a message or actually note shoot us a message. Go to the website, the southernoutdoorsmen.com. And again, that's southernoutdoorsmen, M-E-N, and fill out a listener success form. Uh, we love seeing those coming in and some of the stories from guys that's had success, especially when it comes to turkey hunting. So if you have success going into this season using stuff you learned from the podcast, let us know through that contact page uh, and submit a listener success form on our website. And love to see that. Also, love to see all the new reviews coming in. Guys, we're trying to hit 1,000 reviews on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Now, if you don't mind, again, about 82% of you guys listen on Apple products and listen on Apple Podcasts. If you would, just take a few minutes Go leave us a five-star review. If you want to be extra generous, you can leave us a written review as well. Let us let us know what you like about the show and maybe what you'd like to see or hear on future episodes or videos of the podcast. Make sure you also go check out the Southern Outdoorsmen YouTube channel uh, for, uh, again, weekly video content up there. Again, hope you guys have been enjoying some of the stuff we've been putting out. And, uh, and really, again, if you're listening to this podcast, you need to go check out the, uh, the video we just did on gobbling uh, or gobbler zones, gobbling zones on youtube again it's a very fascinating uh video i think you'll really enjoy it and hopefully it will help you out this season so thank you again for listening to this week's podcast and we'll catch you back here on this coming episode of the southern outdoorsman podcast all right guys we're starting to get kind of close to summer here and you know what my favorite part about summer is the Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise, and I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast. This show was literally made for you. It is an excellent group of people that are going to be there. A lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there. You're going to get to talk to them, shake their hand, learn from them in person, make some connections. And guys, we get a lot of questions about uh, which saddle should I get? Which tree stand should I get? What about this piece of gear? What about that piece of gear? How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.